is you can't unsay what you've said. You've got to remember that. Whatever you've said, it's out there. Whether, I mean, it's the overflow of your heart. It's like if you'd taken that half a second for your cerebellum to engage and filter, maybe you wouldn't have said it, but you said it. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Harvey. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. This is a recording from a live Operation Thriving Marriage experience that we did at New Life Church back in May of 2022. We had such a wonderful time there, and the participants that were there just gave us so much energy, and we always have a good time uh, doing these live events because of that energy and also uh, because we're able to interact uh, with the participants. We're able to do the Q&As, and uh, we're also able to hear their stories as well. So we're looking forward to more live events at your church, at military bases, and at retreats. So I hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to rate and subscribe. A lot of the times you hear over and over again, problems with marriage, communication. It's almost a trope, right? And every sitcom is like, the communication is going on. So we thought that to introduce the topic of communication, we should share some examples from memes of marital communication. Marriage is having separate tubes of toothpaste because your spouse squeezes it wrong. Jen didn't know she squeezed it wrong until we wrote the book, and I used that in an illustration. Guilty as charged. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm a mangler. Brian is very methodical about this. You waste a- toothpaste. <laughs> you can squeeze it weird however you want. I'm a mangler. So, so uh, my husband texted me from Costco to let me know that there was a line, and I think that he was looking for me to say, "Eh, don't worry about it. Just come home." But instead, I said, "Don't forget the ice." My husband and I have non-traditional marriage roles. I control the TV remote while he sighs. Okay, so I'm in bed with my husband, and he just used the phrases so soft and absolutely amazing and smooth as silk. And he's talking about our new sheets, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what it's like to be married when you are old. (laughs) I track my husband's location, but it's not what you're thinking. I need to know when he's almost home, so when he walks in, I'm cleaning toilets instead of watching Hulu. So communication theory, you know, again, the the movie Cool Hand Luke, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And we're here to do everything possible to equip you so that you do not have these failures. Or if there are failures, we have some corrective ways to go ahead and do this. You know, people will kind of rib us a little bit um, because they'll say, you know, Brian served in pastoral ministry for 20 years. He's in the Air Force and he's giving speeches and presentations to people. Jen's a lawyer. They're professional communicators, but we can even blow it at this. And that's just a reality. But hopefully we're able to employ these biblical principles to help everybody out here in regards to communication and having you be on the right track. So just throw this out uh, for me here. What are some definitions that you might have for communication? Spoken Spoken and unspoken. unspoken. Information flow. Good. Paying attention. Yes, sir. So communication is is doing what by someone 
to someone for some kind of a purpose. So this is the definition that we used in humanities class and stuff, because communication isn't just verbal, right? Like art is communication. Architecture communicates. You know, when you walk in the building, there's communication about what you should do. So it's whatever that is, it's the medium by someone, someone thought of this message to someone for some purpose. So there's always in every moment of communication, there's at least three messages. There's the message the sender forms in their brain, the idea, the concept that they want to get to the receiver. There's the actual content of the message, the words, the painting, the music, whatever that is, there's the content of that. And then there's the receiver, the message the receiver gets. And the goal is to try to get those three messages as aligned as possible because they're not always working. Sometimes what I've said is not what Jen heard at all. We use the phrase message sent, not message received. You know, there was a message sent, but yeah, that's not the message that I received. So the message is the actual content. And then we've got the intender and the receiver. And then there's always a purpose. What is happening? Why am I communicating this? So the artist is trying to, oftentimes art is trying to communicate some sort of emotion or feeling. And when you look at a painting, I did several humanities classes. Um, it was required in high school. And then when I got to college, I took them because I thought they'd be easy and I needed humanities credits. So it's just like, let's do the, the art and music stuff. And when we always got to the um, abstract art, like modern abstract art, it, it just didn't make sense to me. It's like the blue field with the red line and the orange circle. It's just, I, I, I didn't, I, I don't know. And so, of course, you're having to write like five-page essays on these paintings. And that was, the class wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be when you got to that point. But what was interesting, we were in Chicago a month or so ago, and we're walking through the Museum of Modern Art, and all of a sudden, these paintings that I never got and was just, why, huh? All of a sudden, I'm looking at these things and I'm, I'm feeling something. Maybe I'm just getting old and sentimental, I don't know. But there, there's something I'm starting to appreciate. That there's something that this is making me feel. You know, so a lot of times art, the, the purpose is to get you feeling something or they can be um, political. You know, they're trying to get you to think something politically, look at a different way. And in our marriages, there's also a purpose for every moment of communication. Absolutely. And I mean, I think we're going to talk about this where we're probably not going to be doing modern dance to communicate with our spouse. If you do, show me later. I'm really interested in seeing that kind of thing to, to, to express clean the dishes or something, right? Um, but the important thing is when you're communicating with your spouse, a lot of times what we're doing uh, as to that is we're communicating verbally. Of course, body language plays so much into that as well. But it's important for you to speak in a way that your spouse wants to listen to you and then listen in a way that your spouse wants to speak with you. And I'm going to say this again, speak in a way that your spouse wants to listen to you and listen in a way that your spouse wants to speak to you. Because of course, communication is not about just saying what we think. It's about ensuring that others are hearing what we mean. And that is a Simon Sinek uh, quote. Um, because 
if you're saying something or trying to communicate something and it becomes that message that you're sending is not the message that you're received, it's putting you at a disadvantage. It's putting your spouse at a disadvantage. And you really want to be doing everything that you can in communicating with your spouse and being with your spouse. Set yourselves up uh, to be succeeding there. And the reality is that God really cares a great deal about how you are talking with each other and communicating with each other. Um, this always is going to have to do with the actual words that are spoken but sometimes even more importantly is going to be the tone that you use when you're speaking. I think you've heard things said in such a way where Brian was talking about earlier on in marriage or engagement, we might have the idea of, oh, he's so cute, he always, or he never. And then the attitude flips and the tone flips and it's he always and he never. So we want to do what we're doing to be able to communicate things to each other in an effective kind of way, stemming from a positive attitude there, that presumption of goodwill. So it's words as to how you communicate. It's that tone of voice that you're using. And again, it's the body language, because if your, your body language and what we're seeing in that is communicating so much, and on the flip side of that, text messages got to give a bit of a benefit of the doubt because you can read text messages in a lot of different ways. Um, so when you're doing those communications that are in person um, or, or not over the phone, make sure that uh, you're, you're able to really engage and invest with the words you're using, with the tone you're using, and the body language that you're using to ensure, or at least do your best to ensure, that there's not going to be any kinds of gaps in those communications. And it's important to remember that every communication that comes out of you comes out of what's in your heart, comes out of what you're believing and feeling. And a great example of this is, I've talked about baseball a lot. It's just we're not a baseball family. Um, growing up in the military, we never really had hometown teams because we were always moving and these little towns didn't have sports and my dad didn't play sports. So we really didn't do that. And then Jen's never really been in baseball. Randomly, um, Jonathan was four or five years old and he out of the blue said, hey, I want to play Little League. And I was like, huh? How did you even hear about that? And then I saw this yard sign one day. It's like, do you still want to play Little League? Yeah. So we're a baseball family now. And we go to Tigers games periodically. We enjoy this. My son, the first time we um, went to a Tigers game was actually I got free tickets from the base. Every now and then, they'll, especially when the team's doing really bad and they need to get people in the seats, they'll give away tickets. Um, so we got free tickets. And so I took Jonathan and, hey, buddy, you want to go to a Tigers game? And we go to the Tigers game and we had seats in the outfield. They, they were pretty good seats. They weren't great, but they, you were close enough where you could see the game. And he had a wonderful time. We're walking out of Comerica Park, and he looks up and he's like, Dad, if anyone ever asks you if you want tickets to a Tigers game, you do. <laughs> so, so since then, we, we've done some things. We've gone um, to more Tigers games. We recently were at a Tigers game. Jonathan Scope, second baseman, um, was stealing second. So he's off first. He was stealing second. It's a close play. He slides, and he hits the base, and then the umpire clearly was wrong and called out. And no one looked at each other and said, hey, should we say something about this? And it was just, boom, right. out of our hearts, the indignation of the wrong done to Jonathan Scope came out of our mouths. And we shared that. But that's true of 
any sporting event, these people, they're just together and out of the overflow of their hearts, they're so excited about what's going on or so upset about it. They're so vested in that that they communicate things in a way that isn't filtered. I didn't think about, am I teaching my son good sportsmanship right now? Am I teaching him to respect authority when he's playing baseball? No, I wanted Jonathan Scope to get the base. Well, that was unthinking communication. That gets a little tricky, though, when that same sort of unthinking communication is in other environments like marriage. That's very true. And it, I mean, I very much doubt that anybody um, has walked into their kitchen and they expected their spouse to be sweeping the kitchen and it didn't happen. And you said, boo, right? <laughs> That's a don't do that, right? Um, but how many times are you maybe inadvertently booing your spouse, right, for something that they've done? Um, or it it's just kind of like this snap decision and it's completely unfiltered. And it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you did this thing. We have situations that can come up at home where it's just like, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe that you're letting our kid go out right now because they have to get to, to go out and play with the backyard neighbor friends because they're gonna have a big day tomorrow and the child needs to take a shower and wash their hair and it's just getting too late. And, you know, just kind of like snapping at it. But if I would have taken more of that time, did I just call myself out? I did. Um, if I had instead taken that time to just say, you know, Brian, I, I didn't expect that you'd have Jonathan go out with Tucker this late because he's got a big day tomorrow. He needs to take a shower. He needs to wash his hair. He needs to be all set to go. And I don't want him to be out and not refreshed for uh, the morning and probably a baseball event that's happening the next day. And it works the other way, though, as well. Those overflows of your heart that are positive. So one illustration, this was probably a year or two ago, we were baking cookies or Jen was baking cookies and the timer goes off. And so I'm in the kitchen. I go and do what makes sense, right? You go turn the timer off. Yep, cookies look done, take them out, all done. And so I hear Jen call up as I'm walking over to the stairs. I say, hey, can you get the cookies out of the oven? I heard the timer go off. I said, oh yeah, I already did that. The response from the basement, my hero. Man, I had a cape. I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof all of a sudden because Jen just told me I'm her hero. And so when we have that in our hearts, that overflows and what we say and the communication is going to come out both positive and negative. Definitely. And um, the, the writer James uh, in the Bible says, for we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual able to control his entire body as well. And then James put down his writing instrument and laughed, right? Because who is always able to control what they're saying at every time and be able to communicate perfectly and lovingly to their spouse or anybody else? Nobody's perfect. So don't beat yourselves up when you make mistakes. I'm not saying if you do, because when you do, when we do, um, we're not going to be... Uh, upset with each other. We're just going to continue to, to roll with things and, and apologize and, and do what we need to do to make things right as necessary. Uh, Matthew also writes in scripture about this. He says, for the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. The good person brings good things out of his good treasury and the evil person brings evil things out of his treasury. So what's in your heart? What's in your heart 
in general, but what's in your heart towards your spouse? Does your treasury need to be replaced from bad treasures to good treasures that can come out? Has your treasury somehow been depleted as it's relating to your spouse? Does that need to be replenished? Does that need to be filled up? We all do wrestle with our flesh being our sinful desires, but we need to recognize that we have died with Christ and we have risen to new life because he has risen to new life. And in Christ, we're able to destroy any evil treasury that's there and we're able to replace that with godliness as we're growing in holiness. And some of the ways that we do this is through prayer. And I'm not talking about prayer in ways that you may have grown up in the church learning about that things. Maybe I am, but maybe I'm not. What I mean by that is I think people in America were always in such a rush. It's important for us to be disciplined, to slow down, and do what we need to do to get to a space where we're able to wholeheartedly connect with God and be doing that on a regular basis. In my opinion, not just daily, but throughout the day. So what does your prayer look, life look like? And how does your prayer life relate to your spouse? And I would encourage you to be connecting with God and um, connecting with God about your spouse. How can you be praying for your spouse on a daily basis? And another thing is um, having to do with scripture reading. Um, I think that we're told a lot of these things in church. You need to be praying. You need to be reading your Bible. And we agree that that's true. But it's not just intellectually assenting to, I've got to do these things. It's investing in that relationship that you have with God, who is your strength. Um, who is your refuge, and making that time and making that a priority to be able to do it. I personally am waking up at about six o'clock in the morning. Saturdays are my days to sleep in, but not today. Happy to be here, nevertheless, all good. Um, but it's important for me to get up early, and it's before the kids start really moving around so that I have some time so I can do scripture reading and I can do some praying. And then throughout the day, I like to connect with God on some kind of more random basis. What I really love is um, C.S. Lewis had said, we're talking, when you pray, we're talking with God about what we're doing together. So what are you doing together with God for your spouse and with your spouse? It's so important to be able to bring your spouse into those conversations you're having with God. And it's important to make those conversations with God a priority. And meditation, another spiritual discipline that's really helpful to destroy the evil treasury and build a good treasury. And what we mean by that is you, there's a lot of different ideas about meditation. There's some really, really good books out there about how to develop this. What I would encourage you to do is that scripture reading throughout the day, taking time to actually ruminate on what you just read. Oftentimes, hey, I did my chapter because I'm doing my Bible through the year. I, I, I checked that box, and that's not a bad habit. But take a passage, take a verse. Sometimes it's only two words, but spend some time and ruminate on that. And what does that mean for you? What does that look like? Is that a prayer that you need to pray to God? Is that something, a promise you need to claim for yourself? Is that a change you need to make in your own heart? But the more you 
spend time not just reading the scripture, but also ruminating and meditating on it, it becomes more a part of you. And as scripture becomes a part of you, the Holy Spirit uses that and kicks that evil treasury out of your heart and starts building up that good treasury in your heart. Another example of what can be done is worship. And we could talk a long time about what worship is, um, but it's really acknowledging God for he is. We as an American Protestant church, we do worship in so many ways through uh, worship music and uh, a band getting together to really celebrate God and what God is doing. And that's great, but it's not the only way to do it. Sometimes it is different artistic expressions. It could be um, poems. It can be just kind of cheering and getting excited about what God's doing. Um, yesterday, um, John and Chelsea's little one, Avery, we were kind of concerned, is she going to go down and sleep when she's supposed to? Is she going to cooperate with grandma? We've got some concerns. Ended up getting the text message that she did, and we were, yes, we were just really excited that God was there, and God had answered to some prayers to what we had there. Um, so the, those are some different things to do, just be acknowledging God throughout the day for um, the beauty of his world and his creation and how he's created people to to be creative as well. And, and there's other spiritual disciplines too. And yeah, there's a lot of different, there's all kinds of books out there of the, the spiritual disciplines, there's classic spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of things out there. Um, a couple authors that are really good if you want to write them down for this sort of thing is Ken Boa. Um, Boa, just like the snake. Um, he's got a lot of good stuff out there about spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster, um, is another good one, just some classic stuff out there about spiritual disciplines. Probably the most accessible one is a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. But there's a lot of different things out there. All of these things, there's not a finite list of spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of things. What is it that's bringing you closer to God and opening you up? So we did a podcast um, a few months ago, and one of the questions, it was Praying Christian Woman was the podcast, and one of their questions is they ask, what's your favorite, favorite prayer closet? Where's the place that you pray the most? Place that you feel closest to God? Well, for me, truthfully, it's on my motorcycle. You know, that for me, I get out on the road, I'm just riding the motorcycle, and I can be unwinding. I'm not worried about the concerns of anything else because I've got to be really focused on what I'm doing on the motorcycle. It's different from driving a car. I mean, anyone who rides a motorcycle, you've got to be more focused on what you're doing. You've got to pay attention more. But in that, because I have to be so focused on that, it allows my mind to think about, because I can only think about one other thing other than riding the motorcycle, and I can really just engage with God. So there's not a finite list of these are the only spiritual disciplines, and this is the, what the church has taught, or anything like that. What is going to bring you closer to God? But I encourage you to explore what other Christians have done throughout the history of the church to grow closer to God. Some of those may connect really well with you. Some of them may be like, yeah, that didn't work well for me at all. Um, I find like mindfulness right now is a, a thing and silence and being that stuff. I find that very distracting. I've tried the, the solitude and silence thing and I am having a horrible time, and I, I want to engage with that more because I, I want to try to get more benefits out of it, but I have a horrible time shutting off my mind. It's just for me to study, even when we were writing the book, I have to have music on in my ears because it occupies that part of my mind that I can't shut off so I can focus on something else. So that hasn't worked for me. So what works for you? And don't beat yourself up over someone who you respect for their spirituality, and they, you can see that God's been doing something for them in this spiritual discipline, that's working really well for them, and praise God for them. 
And don't beat yourself, hey, that doesn't work for me. You know, and it's okay, but find what works for you and really engage with and, that. And to add to that, I have to say, Paul and Augustine did not ride motorcycles. They True. did not have access to motorcycles. But the other thing is, um, sometimes it, it's helpful to uh, go on a spiritual retreat, and sometimes it's a good idea to go on like a marriage retreat as well. Um, there's a Protestant retreat center um, that, that I've kind of helped out and volunteered for on the legal side, and they're north of Lansing, and that, that's kind of a cool place to get away because you hear a lot more about like the Catholic retreat centers, so kind of kind of growing into that uh, as, as Protestants because if the silence and solitude is growing you closer to Christ, we want you to be experiencing that. And the other thing about the message is you can't unsay what you've said. You've got to remember that. Whatever you've said, it's out there. Whether, I mean, it's the overflow of your heart. It's like if you'd taken that half a second for your cerebellum to engage and filter, maybe you wouldn't have said it, but you said it. And Reconciliation and forgiveness are essential to marriage, but you can't unsay. So be aware of that. And that's why it's so important to build up that good treasury. It's so important to presume goodwill. It's so important to build these things because once it's out there, you can't take it back. And I know that there's been many times that I've said something it's like, oh, I wish I didn't say that. But I can't say it wasn't something in my heart. Because if it wasn't in my heart, I wouldn't have said it. Let's just be honest. I didn't mean to say that. I shouldn't have said it. But I did. And now I've got to work through the process of uh, reconciliation. I've got to work through the process of turning back to Jen after that thing that I did. Yep. Can't, can't unring the bell uh, and, and whatnot. But I also like to get a little bit more into the tone that, that you use. And this is addressed very well in Proverbs. A gentle response turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Oh my goodness, isn't that true? You know, I, I think that, that that's speaking uh, to May 2022 in the city of Ann Arbor and throughout the world because that gentle response will turn away anger, but that harsh word will really get things stirred up and really escalate things. And we want to make sure that we're doing what we can do to diffuse things uh, that, that could come in and cause an unnecessary and an upsetting um, argument and confrontation that could ultimately turn toxic. What we like to do is encourage people to use something called the butter voice. And I'm giving... Because it's smooth. Oh, it's so smooth. That's <laughs> right. This is, this is not your DJ voice. I'm not saying that that's what it is. But my buddy June, who was a corporate trainer for a good 30 years, talks about the butter voice. Because when you're talking to someone in a respectful and kind, you know, not, not harsh kind of a way, how would you be asking the question, will you please pass the butter? You know, again, it's, it's not being mean. You're not saying, please pass the butter. You're not seething about it. You're not screaming it out there, right? It's just kind of a nice, normal, neutral, could you please pass the butter? Use your butter voices when talking with each other. And especially if you're going to be talking about a difficult topic or something that's upsetting you because that tone is really going to set you up to succeed and be that use of that tone is going to be done in such a way that your spouse is going to want to listen to you. And also consider your body language. Your body language, how you're standing, what you're doing is going to affect 
the message that you send. It's going to, so that message you're thinking about may or may not be the message that actually goes out depending on how your body is responding. I worked with this pilot, um, big guy, big, big guy, and his call sign was tree because that's how big he was. He actually had to get a waiver to fly in the A-10 because if he ever had to punch out, then it was going to break his femurs because he was too tall for the plane, but he still wanted to fly it, so he did. Um, so big guy, and he understood that his stature, broad-shouldered, he was physically imposing. So he remembered to, oftentimes, he would sit down on purpose to have a conversation because he knew that he could be intimidating, especially to people who were shorter. Uh, it's like not as broad shoulder. And then he's a pilot, his rank and all that stuff. So be, speaking from a seated position helped get rid of some of those barriers to communication. So think about what you're doing when you're talking to your spouse. Are you leaning over them? Are you putting your feet up on the coffee table? What are you communicating in your body language because that's part of the message you're sending, and it's going to affect the message received. And what about these tough conversations that we have to have, just being able to get into that? And a lot of times, I think that what people need to, to really be mindful of is remembering the purpose of the conversation. It's not to load off on your spouse or correct them or somehow discipline them or reprimand them about something that's been bothering you? What should that purpose really be in having that tough conversation with your spouse? Well, it should be to build unity and to strengthen your marriage and to build closeness. So with that purpose in mind of strengthening marriage and building unity and building closeness, how are you to then go in there and have that kind of a conversation? And just getting it off my chest is not a good purpose. It just isn't. You know, um, we watched this show, Insane Pools, on HGTV or something like that. And See, I got him to watch HGTV. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we're watching this, this, and they were normally there in Florida, and they're getting rock from Tennessee, and it's a sandstone type of rock that... They've got to handle it carefully because these big rocks that they're dropped, they'll break. You know, and they're spending a lot of money on these rocks. Well, for this episode, they were out in Utah. And so instead of Smoky Mountain rocks, they had Rocky Mountain. And I guess it was granite or something like that. Geologists in here, you can correct me on this. It was rock. And so he's watching them bring in this rock that had been ordered for these pools. And they're just dumping it wherever. And it's fine because it's a sturdier rock. Oftentimes, what we want to do is we don't want to be concerned about the soft Tennessee rock. We want to be like that Rocky Mountain rock and just, and all this stuff, just you carry it. And we just dump it on our spouse. Anytime we're trying to communicate, remember the goal of communication is bring us closer together when these deep, these tough conversations. The goal of this conversation isn't, you need to know what I think and what I feel. Yes, that's true, but that's not the goal. The goal is to bring us closer together. So instead of throwing what I have on Jen, Jen, would you please hold this for me? This is something that I need you to help me carry. I need to bring this to you. I can't just, can't just get it off my chest. Brother Jen, this is something that's really bothering me. This is hurting me. And I need you to help me carry this. I need you to help me get through this because we're a team. We're in this together. You see the difference? 
And we also don't want you to be storing up negative feelings because that can just bring so much toxicity into a relationship. Because again, it starts smaller more often than not, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you feel like you're starting to get some negative feelings, that's one of those little foxes that you got to catch. And if you have negative feelings or those negative feelings have been building, you need to diffuse those. And sometimes that has to happen with therapy. Definitely talk to your spouse about it. Be willing and able and available to have these kinds of positive, constructive conversations, even if it's in dealing with a very difficult kind of topic. And then in conversation with your spouse, there's always two sides of this, right? There's the message being sent. Well, there's the three messages, but there's that message being sent. But also, you need to be a good receiver of that message. So we've been talking about speak in a way that your spouse wants to listen to you. You also need to listen in a way your spouse wants to speak to you. One of the things we experience with couples is, well, he never listens to me. She doesn't understand me. There's this. They, there's no connection because one of the spouses isn't listening. For communication to happen, it's not enough just to be a good sender. It's equally important to be a good receiver. And so um, um, David Augsburger, in his book, Caring Enough to Hear and Be Heard, says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. When you hear your spouse, you are communicating that you love them. This is picked up all over. We were actually watching um, this show, Transplant, and we, we cut the cord so it's on Hulu now, but I think it's NBC. 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 Huh? So it's totally binge-worthy, Transplant. It's this doctor who um, was in Syria, is a refugee in Canada now, in a hospital in Canada. Great binge-worthy show if you're looking for something. But there was a scene um, with these two doctors in the elevator, and this one doctor, uh, she's just been frustrated and feeling not heard by anyone in the hospital. And this other doctor has this sensitive spirit and just is able to acknowledge her and hear her. And in this moment, it was so poignant to her that she actually goes to kiss him because she's feeling love in that moment because he hears her. Hearing and being heard is so important. And think about the times when you've really felt loved by your spouse. A lot of those times, it's when there was that connection. They heard you. So being heard is almost indistinguishable from being loved for most people. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren or your spouse is learning to listen to them. And that's um, in Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Listening is essential to building strong relationships and essential to having a thriving marriage. And so we want to help give you some thoughts about how you can listen better. And, and do you feel like you have a good bend towards listening or not? Or how does humanity do with listening? Because I really believe that the most significant barrier to listening well is sin. And you might be saying, we're in church, so we're taking this back to sin. We're taking this back to reality, everyone, um, because sin is that barrier to listening, because sin at its root is 
selfishness. We are, are born with this selfish nature. And again, Christ has come into our lives and has redeemed us. But there are still some lingering things where Paul talks about, I, I, I do what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do, I end up doing. So we're combating some of these things. But as we're living in Christ, we can overcome this. Um, listening well requires humility, which is quite the opposite of sin. We want to be in God's will. We want to be following Christ. And we really need to be lending that listening ear towards our spouse um, as, again, the most important of the human relationships. Um, and we have to show that humility in order to overcome our sin, to shut our spouse out or to half listen or to not be concerned about what our spouse is saying. And so there's some skills that will help with that. Certainly, um, addressing sin is the first step, but there's also skills that we can do. You can actually practice these skills today, right now. These will help you listen better if you practice these skills. And it's first, address the distractions, listen with your whole body, listen to the whole message, and listen to be changed. Absolutely. And some of these distractions that can come into play, I think we can list some of these. It can be children oh my goodness, don't they want to possess and own mom and dad for themselves, right? And again, I, I'm not saying kids are bad by any stretch of the imagination, but we need to be kind of managing expectations and also managing time that we're able to spend that's away from kids so that we can have more concrete conversations. Or sometimes if a child is coming in to interrupt, sometimes it's important and you do need to tend to that. Sometimes it's time for the kid to be told, hey, you, you got to let mom and dad finish this conversation. You know, go and play in another room in your bedroom and we'll come get you and honor that time for that you're giving um, to the child. I know that for, for Brian and myself, um, after the kids go to bed, and what we've been doing is we've said, okay, kids are going to bed at 8.30. We have a 16-year-old. She's not going to bed. Our 11-year-old is probably not going to bed because you know they're kind of doing other things in their room um, as they're kind of winding down and getting ready for, for going to sleep, whether it's, it's reading or whatever the case may be. But we're able to, more often than not, like have dessert together talk, watch some television. It's like a fantastic kind of thing because we love our kids. We love the work that we do. But it's nice for us at the very end of the day to be able to connect up. For some couples, they're getting up early and they're making coffee, they're making tea, they're making breakfast, and they're together in that kind of a time. Uh, but I think it's very wise to be connecting um, daily as a couple and being able to remove those kids from being a distraction. Um, cell phones oh my goodness, I have all the information of the world in this, and it can be very distracting. Um, sometimes to get rid of that, you're just putting it on silence. Um, I like to parent my phone in such a way where I have a lot of notifications that I could be getting that I've turned off. But especially if I'm going to be just talking to, to Brian, I've got to make sure, especially if it's something that's a more important or in-depth conversation that we have to have, that that's put away, that's in a pocket, it's not out as a distraction. I've even heard studies that say your phone being out is a distraction even if it's not going off and there's no sound. So just make sure that you're putting that away when you're having these kinds of conversations. We also have thoughts 
that will kind of drift into our minds. And we've already talked about how children are and they want to possess your soul. And again, teasing a little bit on that. But also work. A lot of times work or whatever activities we're involved in will kind of drift into our thoughts and into our, our minds. And those are things that we need to kind of put up a block and just say, got to set this aside and we're going to sit down and have this kind of a conversation. And maybe we have to have a conversation about these thoughts of work or other things that are coming on, but one thing at a time. So we're going to talk about this issue, and maybe we can then step in and address the other things, too. You need to listen with your whole body, too. It's not just your ears and your brain, but your whole body has to be engaged. There's this myth that's out there. You're often asked, especially in interviews, how good are you at multitasking? That's a big thing. Hey, I'm a good multitasker. You're not because our brains aren't wired that way. For you computer scientists, our brains work in series, not in parallel. So you're good at switching back and forth between tasks. You're not good at doing two tasks at the same time. So you can't listen to your spouse and do this other thing if it's an important thing. Now, there's some things that we're just having casual conversation and while we're cooking dinner and we're just talking about the day's events. But when this is something where it's like, hey, we need to have a conversation you can't do that and something else. You need to listen with your whole body engaged. Sit facing each other. Actually look at each other so that you're not looking at something. When we go to restaurants, if Jen wants to actually have a real conversation, we make sure that my back is to the television because I have television ADD. If there's a television on, I'm going to look at it. I can't help myself. So I sit we sit so the back. So we're not going to go to like Buffalo Wild Wings if we want to have a real conversation because that's a waste of time. I'm watching all of the a million TVs up there. They do that on purpose, I think. But anyway, so we need to sit face each other, make sure that I'm not looking at things. Look each other in the eye, in the face. You know, obviously, I mean, it gets a little weird if you're just staring intently at each other. I mean, sometimes we do that because it's romantic and lovely. Other times it's just kind of like my son will do that to see, I mean, again, the staring contest. Okay, who's going to blink first or who's going to laugh first, right? Um, but look at each other's face so that you can see everything going on. A lot of emotion happens right here. And if you're not looking at it, you're going to miss it. So you need to see that and going on. And then put down anything in your hands, at least if you're like me. I fidget. Drives Jen nuts. We were dating, and I remember one time we were just sitting in her, um, um, we were still living with our parents when we met, and so I'm sitting in her parents' house, and there was this ballpoint pen, you know, just sitting on the coffee table. I pick it up, start taking it apart, putting it back together. I fidget with everything. I can't help myself. Well, again, I can't multitask. I can't really fidget and pay attention to what Jen's saying. So I need to put things down, not touch them, sit with their not in arm's reach, put them where I can't see them so I'm not distracted. I mean, that's me because I'm that fidgety. But put things out of your hands. Don't have something in your hands that's going to distract you so that you can focus on what's being said to you so you can listen well. Absolutely. And it's also important to be listening to the whole message, the entire message that's being said, because how many times has it been that our spouse or maybe somebody else is trying to communicate something to us and it starts off where you don't agree with it and you cut them off, but you would have had a positive outcome if they had continued and it didn't have to be a fight and you didn't have to cut them off. So let's make sure that we're listening to the entire message, that we're not stopping that individual short. Am I seeing ribbing happening? I'm just, I'm just kidding, because we, we kind of tease about that. But I know that I personally um, it can, can be guilty of cutting Brian off uh, in, in some conversations. Um, it's important that you are paying attention to that very 
very end of what the individual is saying. And introverts, extroverts. I'm the extrovert. He's the introvert. And you experience some things when Brian was talking where he's talking and then he stops, but he's processing before he says. I can just talk because, see, lawyers are the type of people where we can talk about something we know nothing about for at least an hour. And if I actually know something about it, it's another thing. But I, I would say that with Brian, have I ever been accused of cutting him off while he wasn't talking? Yes. But I need to be adapting to, you know, how he is thinking and processing something. So I wasn't finished yet, but there was a pause. But I'm still trying to adapt to Brian just as to that kind of a thing. I actually will stop in the middle of a sentence because I can't say the end of the sentence because I haven't thought about it yet. So pray for Jen. <laughs> all good, all good. You know, I, I say flex and flow with the Holy Spirit in marriage. That, that's how you're going to be successful and get that done. Um, but there, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together does um, talk about this, where there's a kind of listening with a half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. And isn't that awful? I mean, do you really want to talk to somebody like that? So make sure that you're working on your skills. And separately, your spouse needs to be working on these skills to, to make sure that we're not presuming, um, we're not failing at that, that we are listening to the entire content of what needs to be heard. Don't interrupt Jen. Oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't say Jen in my outline, but Jen needs to not interrupt. And I want to make sure that we're communicating to you folks that, that you don't interrupt when your spouse is talking. It's important that you discipline yourself to focus on the words of the other person and not the other thoughts that you're having. Because I know even people who aren't lawyers, sometimes you're thinking of that rebuttal in your head, right? Your spouse is saying something and you're thinking of how you're going to respond, but you haven't even heard all of the things uh, that your spouse is saying because they're still in process. So don't think about that rebuttal. And that's hard to do or it can be hard to do. But give that floor, give that stage to your spouse so that you can hear them out. You're gonna have your turn. You really are gonna have your turn there. And spouse who just uh, is in the middle of speaking, and um, when you get to the end, make sure you're allowing for that communication from your spouse to come back. And sometimes I've had things happen where it's like, wow, this is a really heavy thing, this issue that we've been talking about. So I'm just going to take a second to just sit with you in some hurt that you've experienced or hear about you dealing with a rough day that you've had. Let's just sit in this. And I'm going to think a little bit, even as an extrovert, and I'm going to then respond to that as well. Um, what you want to also do is, again, pay attention to the whole message, not just the words. And I, I think, again, that goes to tone, that goes to body language. Sometimes that goes to kind of the state of mind that the individual is in, because sometimes I think we as spouses, we, we love each other so much, and sometimes we want to fix the problem. I know that there's kind of a, a more of a stereotype out there that dudes want to fix the problem, and sometimes women just want to be heard, but it can really cut both ways, because I know when Brian's having some problems, you know, I want to jump in and fix because I think just earlier this week for dinner, it was like, hey, we don't have all these supplies that I thought we needed. And I'm just like, dude, I will go to the grocery store right now. And he's like, no, you don't need to fix this. I'm just sharing with you some of my frustration about this kind of a thing. And um, I think it's important that, again, in paying attention to that, you're also able to do some reflective listening. And 
Sometimes this can feel a little goofy if you haven't done this before, but people feel heard when you're able to articulate back to them, you know what, I heard what you just said, and this is what I heard. And you're not repeating the entire conversation or the entire segment that you just heard back from your spouse, but being able to do the reflective listening and say, this is what I'm hearing that you said, and in humility then saying, did I get that right? Do you have anything to add to that? It's just such a a way to be heard where your spouse is feeling loved and you're able to get more information from your spouse if you missed anything. And if you want to take your, like, from undergraduate to graduate, like PhD level listening, listen to be changed. It's not enough to just hear the words and acknowledge yes, that's, but you've got to be willing to listen to the point where what I've heard and acknowledge what I heard is going to affect me in a way that I'm going to be different after this conversation. Listen in a way to be changed because oftentimes, I mean, we've all been, it's like, oh, especially at work, right? You're talking to someone, it's like, this person is just constantly doing the same thing that's messing up the team dynamic. And you talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, I got it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you want me to do this? And, and then they come through and they just do the same thing. We just talked about that. You know, that thing, yeah? If you really want to take your listening up, take it to a place where not only do you hear it and understand and acknowledge the truth and reality of the experience of your spouse, of what's going on, but also acknowledge your place in making the marriage better by being able to be changed by what you just heard. And really and truly, communication is so essential to having a thriving marriage. It's the fundamentals. And these are things that we all continuously have to be going over, going back to those basics. You know that this works out in sports, right? Um, We keep talking about baseball because even though we didn't intend on becoming a baseball family, we are. This is the case for baseball. This is the case for football and any other sport out there. You got to go back to these fundamentals and communication is part of that fundamental to having a thriving marriage, but communication itself has its fundamentals to it. It requires both speaking in a way that your spouse wants to listen to you and listening in such a way that your spouse wants to speak to you. And it's difficult, and we're not saying it isn't. Again, we can screw this up and mess this up. But if you practice these skills, you're going to improve communication in your marriage and so improve marriage in general. We hope you enjoyed this replay of our live Operation Thriving Marriage Experience. And we're ready to come to you to do an Operation Thriving Marriage Experience with your church or with your ministry. To get more information, you can go to operationthrivingmarriage.com.